Every week, we do a Q&A with interesting and accomplished members of the adaptive community to find how they persevered, how they innovated, how they built communities, and how they found solutions. Welcome to the Name Tags Chat Podcast. Right, welcome to the Name Tags Chat Podcast, where we celebrate stories of resilience. It's not what happens to you. It's what you do with what happens to you. Today, we have Ryan Baker. I know Ryan as a skier. We met back in the early 90s. He is the co-founder of the Wheelchair Lacrosse USA, of Wheelchair Lacrosse USA, and then also is the host of Twisted Spine. So first, we're going to talk a bit about lacrosse, but Ryan, thank you for joining us. Yeah, Chris, good seeing you, man. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. You know, this is just a lot of fun. And I mean, I grew up sort of watching lacrosse to a certain extent. I, yeah. I was a baseball player growing up, but I went to prep school back in New England and we had big time lacrosse and yes. watching, seeing wheelchair lacrosse out there is, it's a really fun thing. Can you first describe how you guys are playing and how you had to adapt the sport of lacrosse? From, yeah. You're not out there in the field, right? Sure. Yeah. So yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity and it's, it's great seeing you and being able to catch up. I love this. Um, so yeah, we started this uh, back in 2009 and it was really organic. It just, um, I had an idea about what lacrosse could potentially look like for wheelchair athletes. And uh, that really came and was born through wheelchair tennis, being able to push with a racket in your hand. And um, in the early to mid nineties, uh, not too far or not too long after my injury, I got into competitive wheelchair tennis. And the woman that was my coach, her husband was a high school lacrosse coach. It just seemed appealing to me. I knew a little bit about it, that it was extremely popular on the East Coast, not so much on the West Coast where I was growing up. Um, but, you know, sort of fast forward to 2009, and I was able to share it with a group of guys that I felt like would really be able to take to it. And we went and um, got some used equipment, went out onto a tennis court, tried to play catch, see how viable it could be. And within about a month, we had six, eight, 10 guys out throwing the ball around on a tennis court. We bought a net on eBay and we built a goal using PVC pipe. And again, we're just on a tennis court until one day the light bulb went on and a friend of mine invited me to go watch him play at a, a men's adult, like a inline hockey game. And I went to this facility and just thought, what are we doing? You know, like this is so perfect. So we made arrangements with the facility and, you know, in the spring of 2009 or so summer of 2009, we started using a inline hockey rink. We use basketball chairs. Mm -hmm. um, so all the rules regarding the chair are just literally plagiarized right from the IWBF uh, rules. Why What's reinvent significant about a basketball chair versus like an everyday chair. So the wing primarily on the front of the chair to protect our feet and our legs from any kind of impact. And then um, little anti-tips that come out the rear to prevent chairs from going over backwards because in sport chairs, the center of gravity tends to be a little bit more aggressive. 
so the chairs are a little bit more nimble and, and tippier. Um, and so we just didn't really feel like it was necessary to, to try and uh, come up or design a wheelchair when you know most programs and individuals already have access to basketball chairs. Nice. Um, and then as far as the lacrosse equipment goes, in the interest of respecting the game, we did not change anything as far as the equipment goes either. Um, it's really just standard men's lacrosse gear. The stick uh, still has to be at least 40 inches long. We require the helmet, mouth guard, shoulder pads, elbow pads, gloves. Um, the gloves smaller than? Gloves are not smaller. They're, they're, they're not too different than hockey gloves. They just offer a little bit more dexterity um, than a hockey glove. They're just like a nice protective top layer because you are allowed to check the opponent, you know, the, the um, offensive player who possesses the ball can be stick checked by the defense, the person that's defending him. And the hand is considered, the hand that's touching the stick is considered a part of the stick and allowed to be checked. So Once that hand- slash, okay. Correct. Once that hand leaves the stick, you can no longer just slash at that hand. You can only slash or check the hands that are in contact with the stick. And you're allowed to um, hit as well? You can make chair-to-chair -chair contact, sure. There is that part of it. But, um, you know, as guys become more proficient by moving the ball around the area, keeping it off the ground, um, there is, uh, honestly, there's less chair-to-chair -chair contact uh, the better that guys get at throwing the ball and moving the ball around, um, then the less contact there is. So but, I would think that that would be part of the appeal, right? Like you look yeah. at the at the sled hockey players who are like, "Yeah, we get to hit people. Like this is sure this is great, right?" Yeah. But what what's the appeal of of lacrosse, and how hard is it to pick it up? Well, the physicality sure, certainly plays a part in, in um, bringing people out, you know, but it also weeds others out that might not be so interested in that kind of physical contact. Um, when you get checked with the stick, it's really not that big of a deal. It's not as intimidating as it sounds. Um, and there is certainly going to be some contact and aggression to it. Again, that's part of the appeal. But um, there's also a finesse part of the game and there's something about making good clean passes to the correct side of your uh, teammates body and creating opportunities for them as they're pushing and gaining momentum in order to receive a pass or take a shot on goal. So there's just a lot of different ways that you can create as a team, very similar to like basketball or hockey or any other team oriented sport. Um, but there's just an amazing flow to the pace of lacrosse. And um, there's just something that's been really, really incredibly fun about watching this whole thing evolve. You know, um, one thing I'll mention about the rules is that on a roller hockey rink surface, we, we play eight on eight. And the rule is, is that you must have three players in your defensive half at all times. And two of your players must remain in your offensive half at all times. 
So whenever the ball goes to one end, Chris, it becomes five on five on that one half. Then the ball moves to the other end. Designated players have to stay at their half. And then on this half, it becomes five on five. The reason we did that, that's sort of a men's outdoor lacrosse rule where players sort of have to stay back. But for wheelchair players, we felt that was extremely important because if the ball gets kicked out or goosed out and rolls all the way to the other end of the floor, then it really just becomes a sprint. You know, who's the fastest to get to the ball? But if there are players already down there to sort of pick up the trash and play it back into that offensive end or, you know, uh, bring it onto the defensive side and hold the ball and wait for the team to make the transition over, you know, so they can be on offense now. It just offers a lot of really um, fast paced action. You know, look, I'm biased and basketball's great. <laughs> Hockey's amazing. I'm all for anything that everyone is doing, right? Just get off your butt and go do something. But lacrosse is extremely quick and very fast and super exciting. And I think the more people that find out about it become better at it. We get really good athletes playing. Um, it will really change uh, what we're seeing today. You know, how, what we're seeing as far as an elite level today will be totally different in four or five years. So are you seeing a lot of, you know, tactics, a lot of uh, strategy with, with passing? Because, I mean, some of the sports that it's sort of similar to, right? I mean, you talked about tennis and tennis because you have the, because you have the stick in your hand, kind of similar to having a racket and still have to be able to push your chair and be able to go straight and all those things. But like mm -hmm. basketball and quad rugby to a certain extent, Mm -hmm. are, are both similar, right? And, and you often can see the fastest person on the court dominating those sports. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you see in lacrosse or is it more of the strategy of passing that, that dominates? Yeah, it is. It's more of a team aspect. Um, nobody will move faster than the ball. And what we're seeing with lacrosse that sort of separates it from some of the other sports you mentioned, basketball primarily, hockey maybe as well, but hockey can get away with this too, uh, with certain aspects, I guess. But, um, you know, we're making really good, strong, accurate passes from 15 yards, 20 yards, which is a pretty fair distance. And when you can really spread the players out and create the kind of room, I mean, the, the roller hockey rink offers a lot of real estate out there. So when it's five on five on either half, you have a lot of space to occupy. So rather than bringing it in and playing this like contained, you know, like in a phone booth, right. you, can, you can really spread it out and whip the ball around, you know, 10, 15 yards, 20 yards away from your teammate rather than feeling like, you know, I'm making a bounce pass that is, you know, six feet away. So it offers just a lot more um, dynamic opportunity because the amount of space that athletes are able to use is pretty incredible. And then yes, when you get guys, for example, that are amputees 
or very low injury paras and they have a lot of trunk function and they really start figuring out how to move the chair with the stick in their hand and wearing the glove, it's going to just totally change, um, totally change the, the pace again. It'll just keep elevating. Yeah, because I would imagine that one of the things you have to do as an athlete is you have to get the ball while you're already on the move. Correct. You don't have much. If you catch it and you're you're in one place, you're really in one place. You don't have much yeah, ability right. to accelerate quickly and get out of that get out of out of that space. Yeah, that's true. Now we're not, um, you know, we're sort of in the same boat as every other wheelchair team sport. We don't have any lateral movement, right? We have to be able to kind of be facing the, the, the teammate where the pass is coming from. And there's certain ways to, you know, sort of situate your chair and the bot, your body to receive a pass, to make a pass or a good shot on goal. But Chris, I mean, guys are getting to the point now where they're, they're shooting on goal and making passes behind their back. Mm-hmm. They're making bounce passes now, literally like bouncing the ball in between two players and up to another teammate so he can pass it off again. Um, and the m- more proficient and the faster guys are becoming, it just looks more like elite lacrosse, right? It looks like good soccer or good basketball where the players are moving the ball around the perimeter down behind the goal, sending guys in on the cut, you know, to make a shot on goal. It's just, there's just no substitute right now um, for how fast this could potentially be as a, as a team sport, you know. Is, is that the most appealing part for you, this sort of team aspect and sort of, you know, probing for that, that weak spot in the, in the defense to then be able to yes. be able to attack. And it, yes. that really is the appealing part for you. I mean, that's definitely a, a, a driver, right? Like I, I'm a big fan of soccer or any other sport, um, even tennis on an individual athlete, you know, level where you can sort of like, you know, it's like a chess match to a point and you can find, you know, where the weak spots are and, you know, you can hopefully not expose your own weak spots, right? Everybody has them. Everybody has like their chinks in the armor, you know? Um, Our team here in San Diego has been national champion several times, which also means we have a huge target on our back. And um, the current national champion is a team out of Maryland, the Maryland Thunder. And so, yeah, it's, you know, there's going to be a lot of change and shift in how the great, the game grows and how people approach it. What we see happening now also is we have a, a nice, um, again, it's so new and it's in its infancy, what we're doing, but it's really special to see guys that played before who then sustain an injury and find out, oh, I can come back to this. And it's badass and I love it. And it feels just like it did because it does, it's, it's that quick. I mean, sure, again, we don't have the lateral movement. 
you're not going to be able to just sprint from one end and like dodge around a guy and do a 360 and spin around. But when it comes to moving the ball and that team element of, you know, exposing defensive weaknesses and developing strategy, it's all the same. And it's awesome. You anticipated my question when you started talking about the people who had played before and then were coming back, especially when you were talking about Maryland, right? Because yeah, Atlantic lacrosse is just huge in that, that area. Yeah. Has that changed the sport, bringing these, these people who had the previous experience? Has it changed the sport when they've come in? Yeah. And what have you seen? That, What's the difference? Yeah, definitely it has. It's like the merging of these two worlds that I like to sort of explain. It's like guys that might have some really good mobility experience playing wheelchair tennis or basketball, and they're just awesome in the chair, but they've never held a lacrosse stick in their life, right? And then you have guys that maybe are newly injured. They're not so good at moving the chair, but they grew up holding a lacrosse stick. So it's like the, you know, you bring these guys together and the, then the deadliest combination is the guy that knows how to move and played in high school and college and comes out and he's like the coach captain. He's like recruiting everybody. Um, and that's actually what happened in Maryland. You know, I mean, we have a guy there that um, is, a, is a team leader and he played in college and high school and found out about what we're doing and just immersed himself into it. And we didn't have a tournament last year because of the pandemic. The previous year, the previous year, uh, they won the national championship. Um, and that, that, that event was actually hosted out in Long Island. We have a team there and mm -hmm. we'd like to move that around a little bit. So each team has a chance to host a national event. Um, but yeah, Maryland's our current national champions and they love to let you know about it. Good. As well, they should. They're, they're yeah. at the top, of the, top yeah. of the podium right now. Yeah, How they all got teams? rings and everything. Exactly. How many teams do you have? So I like to say, Chris, that we have about, we have about 20 programs. But competitive teams, we're approaching maybe a dozen or so, 13 or 14. If I'm being generous, maybe 13 or 14 teams. Not all the programs that we've been able to help start have competitive rosters at this time. Um, and so they're still growing and, you know, trying to get more athletes involved. But uh, I think, you know, two years ago when we did that national championship, I think there were 10 teams. It's about 150, 160 players or so. Um, this coming year, our San Diego team will be hosting the national championship at the end of August, 27th and 28th. Um, it's a Friday and Saturday. I think, you know, again, with the pandemic, it's kind of up in the air, but we are intending on having an event. Um, and I'm hoping for at least six or eight teams, you know, just given the nature of where everyone is at right now. How many, when you're hosting a national championship, how many ranks do you have going on at the same time? Do you have enough ranks that you can play 
if you have six or eight teams, you're playing mm-hmm. three or four games. If you have 13 teams, right, you're talking about yes. six games going on. Correct. Yeah. So when we first started, we only really needed one one rank. We right. would have a we would have a weekend tournament with four or five teams. You know, there wouldn't be that much downtime in between games. Everyone enjoys watching each other play. So it made it less, uh, you know, just less downtime. With more teams participating now, more players coming on, we're approaching, you know, 200 players for a weekend with 13 teams or something, which is just awesome. Uh, But then we have venues now with two rinks under one roof. So we have four teams playing at once. We start at 8 a.m. and go till five in the evening. There's lunch, water. Um, U.S. Lacrosse now is a big supporter of Wheelchair Lacrosse USA. We've become a member organization of U.S. Lacrosse. So all of, all of our players uh, that compete in any Wheelchair Lacrosse USA event must also be members in good standing with U.S. Lacrosse. Much like sled hockey and USA hockey. Everybody has to sort of have their membership card. And when you register for an event, you give us your US lacrosse number and that's where we get our insurance and other like membership benefits. Now you've got to give a shout out to your logo as well. You're sporting the logo on your yep. hat. Repping the, repping the brand. Yep. Wheelchair lacrosse USA. How did that yep. all come about? The, the logo. logo. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we just, you know, we had a, a handful of pictures from over the years. And when we first started this, Chris, we didn't know what we were doing. I never played lacrosse before I started this. Growing up in San Diego, I was playing baseball year round, going to the beach and, you know, maybe a little football here and there. But um, the the logo, we were first like Wheelchair Lacrosse Association, and we didn't know what we were doing. We had no idea what we were getting ourselves into, really, when we first started this thing. And now it's sort of just taken on a life of its own, which is just awesome. The logo, once we settled on Wheelchair Lacrosse USA, um, the, the silhouette of the player is actually my co-founder, Bill Lundstrom. Um, and it was just a really good picture of him holding the stick with the chair and um, a girlfriend of mine just sort of took this outline of it and created a silhouette. And then we just got it into the, you know, red, white and blue color scheme and, you know, have a nice wheelchair lacrosse USA and got it like a little font for it. And uh, yeah, we sell these things um, and take donations, you know, uh, online and um at at different events you know we don't really we're not a garment manufacturer really but it's fun to have the stuff here and there for like trade shows and things well it's nice to be able to wear it and it's a conversation piece of like right what what is that what's going on there because one of the things that's cool about lacrosse too is that you can really throw it like yes this, there's no fooling around this is because like sitting in a wheelchair if you're trying to throw a baseball it's kind of like okay you're sort of throwing it but it's not going very far where like i remember my, my parents had a black lab you know and it's one of those they had a black yeah. lab so what does he want to do he wants to chase the ball all day long and i remember throwing it with my hand and, and the other thing is that 
he's going to chew on it and it's going to get all slobbery. Yeah, you're going to pick it up. So I got the lacrosse stick out. Perfect. And I'd throw that and just, you know, you can just throw the lacrosse stick and it can keep him entertained, right? I can throw right. it far enough that it might get lost and he has to look around for it. But you guys, I'm sure, are significantly better than I am. But you're you're bringing it. This is for real. Well, I mean, yeah, it's, again, it's about having that amount of real estate and feeling like you can really whip it to your teammate from 15 or 20 yards away and put it exactly where you want to, right? At least giving them the opportunity to make the catch, which is really the most important part, right? Keeping the ball off the ground, even if it's not just on a rope, I mean, guys will just lob it, make it nice and easy, give them some time to see it coming at them, you know. And during the clinics and the camps that we do to help grow new programs, there's a lot of technique and, and things that we'll teach, you know, to help promote success, basically. Because if you're not successful, then you're not having fun. And if you're not having fun, you're just going to leave. And we don't want that. No. And the coordination really is a challenge just to get squared up to the ball so that you can actually catch it. But then yep. catching it is a challenge too, right? So you think, okay, I'm all set. Everything's good. And it's like clunk, you get hit right in the sternum. And you go, right. Wow, that, really, that really hurt a yeah. lot. I'm not sure yeah. if tennis ball doesn't hurt nearly as much. When we were first starting, I had bruises all over my arms from just not being able to catch the ball right um you sort of learn that you don't really necessarily want the ball coming right at you you want it sort of over here a little bit you know so the cross and the and the the head can you know bring it in and you can catch it that way um but yeah again there's just tricks techniques mechanics uh to just hopefully breed success and teach success in this. Well, that's the interesting part of learning a sport too, right? Is learning the nuance of the sport. You want to get the basics, but then you want to get, okay, if you turn this way, it makes it that much easier. You can actually mm -hmm. catch it. What's the future of it? Are you, are you're in with, with us lacrosse, right? Mm -hmm. Are you thinking that there might be a Paralympic push? Is anybody else doing this in the world? Or is this something that's exclusively in the U.S.? So I'm also uh, on a development committee with an organization called World Lacrosse, formerly known as the Federation of International Lacrosse, or the FIL, is now World Lacrosse. World Lacrosse is the organization that's getting lacrosse back into the Olympic games. And so I'm on a development committee with World Lacrosse with a handful of people from all over the world um, that are growing lacrosse into a variety of different countries. Um, but my role there is to hopefully uh, act as a conduit to expose markets that will be attracted to this new offering, right? Um, we do have people playing in Italy. Um, we had the opportunity to go to Israel a couple of years ago and do a clinic there. Israel was the host country 
for the men's world championships. So as a part of world lacrosse, we got to go there and do a clinic for a handful of disabled athletes. We donated a bunch of equipment. So this was the um, able-bodied world championships, Israel was correct. Hosting, and you guys piggybacked on that, which gives you a lot of legitimacy too. What's the what's the response from the able-bodied lacrosse players? What do they think about what you guys are doing? They love it. They can't get enough of it, right? And lacrosse, if you don't know or are not familiar with it, it's a really tight fraternity of people because the sport itself doesn't have the traction or the popularity of the NBA or Major League Baseball, even ice hockey, you know, it's not one of the big three. Um, And so the the brotherhood and the sisterhood, the community that is around lacrosse is incredibly generous and the degrees of separation are actually quite small. four teams that we actually have in our organization, Chris, that do not have enough people to fill out a competitive roster, we will allow them to bring on able-bodied players that sit in the wheelchair and then just they're a part of that team. Um, Like basketball right now, we're, um, or unlike basketball, I should say, we're not enforcing any classification system. So Uh whether whether if you're able-bodied, you're, you know, um, uh, a high-functioning, you know, low-level quad, like a high-point quad rugby guy with some decent hand function, all the way to an able-bodied person, you know, we're letting anyone play that wants to come out and be a part of this. You're just putting eight people out there. Just putting eight people out there. And maybe you have 12, so the team that you're playing against doesn't run you into the ground over, you know, the course of the game. Right. It's always, it's always good to have three or four subs or two or three subs. Yeah. Wow. Now, and we're subbing on the fly like hockey. Play never really stops unless there's a timeout. You know, the, the rink space contains the ball. So it's always live, which is great. Um, so there's very few stoppages, which is also really awesome what's the what's the feeling on the paralympic side are they are they interested obviously you have to demonstrate yeah back to that so um through world lacrosse we're developing kind of like an international wheelchair lacrosse committee and it involves australia italy finland the uk ireland canada um Australia will be starting implementing programs soon, but really this is about getting like their able-bodied lacrosse, their national governing body for able-bodied lacrosse kind of connected with their country's, you know, disability sport governing body and sort of putting these pieces together. Our goal would be to sort of ride the coattails of our able-bodied counterpart into the 2028 games. 2028, so that's LA. That's LA, 2028. That's our goal to be a demonstration sport. Okay. And our goal by 2028, of course, like maybe in another five or six years, it would be our expectation uh, that we would be able to have and sustain from that point forward, a, a world championship. So if we can have a world championship with 
six or eight teams demonstrate viability to the IPC, that all of these other countries also have their own wheelchair lacrosse national governing body, their own national championship and you know national team selection process, that they are also probably in good standing with world lacrosse, right? Because there'll be some like chapter, you know, red tape membership stuff, I'm sure, whatever, you know, some of that. Um, but yes, that's the goal. The, the ultimate goal would be to offer this in the Paralympic Games or to have it become a medal sport in the Paralympic Games. What's the criteria as far as number of teams and do you have to have representation from all different sort of parts of the world or? I think it's, um, I mean, I'm only going off what I've known from sports that have come before us, mm -hmm. say sled hockey, for example. I think when they first started a number of years ago, they had to have a world championship with at least eight teams. So if we can find eight countries that really buy into this, grow it, become, you know, autonomous in it and can send a team to a world championship event. And then we can demonstrate to the Paralympic committee that it's a sustainable and viable sport for medal competition. Then, then I think we, I, I think we can get there for sure. It's just, it's just, you know, this is a marathon. This is not a sprint. Um, we are, you know, over the course of the last nine or 10 years, 11 years since we've been doing this, we probably have donated over $20,000 in equipment to all these different programs across the country. You know, um, not every place we go to um, starts a program. You know, unfortunately, there have been cases where I've had to call people and ask for equipment back because there are other programs that are growing quickly and need the, need the equipment, you know? Um, I don't really think it's an easy sell, but I believe in what we're doing. And I think that once people really figure it out and understand the dynamics of how it's played, um, they're just gonna fall in love with it. You have to have had a fair amount of support. Who are your supporters that are allowing you to go out there and build these programs throughout the world? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, we have had a lot of support. Of course, this is not Ryan Baker and Bill Lundstrom doing this like behind the scenes all by ourselves, right? Um, again, when we first started, we really had no idea what we were doing. We, we flew ourselves uh, to Baltimore, uh, I think the following year of our inception and got a booth at the US Lacrosse National Convention. And we sort of just rolled out this idea to the general public, right? Like here we are in the epicenter of the lacrosse world in Baltimore at the US Lacrosse National Convention. And here's two dudes from Southern California sitting in wheelchairs trying to promote lacrosse for disabled athletes, right? And it was like every 30 seconds, we had someone coming up to us, grabbing a flyer, telling us that, you know, oh man, I got a guy that would love this, or, oh man, our community needs this, or, you know, whatever it was, it was like, we just knew we were onto something. So the, the model 
the model that we've implemented since we started basically was if you're interested in this and you want a program to start in your area, contact us. We will send you an agenda of like what the weekend looks like and what you're sort of going to get out of it. But the responsibility is on the host organization to fly us out, provide transportation, find a venue and the wheelchairs um, and the players, right? And then we provide all the lacrosse equipment. But the, again, the host organization is responsible for shipping it all out there. We show up and we get it all ready. We have a great weekend. By the end of the weekend, we're doing a full speed scrimmage. Everybody gets a goodie bag. Everybody gets, um, you know, something they're sort of walking away with. We have little awards, maybe like offensive player of the weekend gets a new pair of gloves or, you know, most improved gets a new stick or whatever it is, right? We try and make it really fun. But the equipment is coming from STX. The equipment was coming from Nike lacrosse. Um, a lot of the garments were coming from Nike. Um, and then here on a local level, there was a there is a lacrosse company out there called Adrenaline. And they also had a brick and mortar store. Um, they had they were they had a DBA called South Swell Sports that's no longer around, but it was basically like a lacrosse and field hockey store, you know, so pretty niche. Um, and when we were first starting here locally and we were trying to figure out what we were doing, I discovered that there was actually this no bounce ball. So I called these guys and said, hey, I'm looking for some no bounce balls. The guy told me he had five or six of them. I said, great, I want them all. I'll be there in like 30 minutes. I roll into the store, Chris, right? I roll into the store and I'm like, yeah, I'm looking for Dan. I just called about these no bounce balls. And he's looking at me like, dude, what are you going to do with these things, you know? So I told him the whole story about our effort and our, you know, our little organization that we created. And a week later, he calls Bill and I back, calls us into the store. And there's all these boxes in the corner. And he called his reps and got us like two dozen helmets, 20 shoulder pads, all these like program like all these pre-strung like program sticks from stx and warrior and under armor i mean it came from everyone right but it was this one company here in san diego that was like you guys have all these bodies you guys have the venue here's a bunch of equipment to help get you started you know and then we just sort of used that and recycled it we did equipment drives and we basically got to the point where people were recognizing what we were doing and sort of starting to donate more to the effort and really not in cash. They, we, you know, we never really got money. This is not a revenue generator at all. I don't, you know, I still have a job and whatever. This is just like a passion project that turned into something that we had no idea what was coming. And so 
with the model of the host sort of pays for all of the clinic stuff, at the conclusion of the camp, we get to tell the host organization, hey, guess what? All the equipment we've been using for the weekend now belongs to you guys. Yours. It's yours. That's this, awesome. this, this four thousand dollars worth of gear or whatever, like, is now yours because we can't just pick up our stuff and go home and expect that you're going to be successful. Yeah, yeah. Go get your own stuff. To what do you attribute the the interest, the the excitement? Um, sports have, have a difficult time getting equipment, getting started. And it, yeah, it sounds again, like you had this groundswell. Yeah. I mean, here's a great example of like how incredible the community is, right? And if you're someone out there listening, you know, and you want to start a program, there's someone out there's someone out there that you could probably throw a rock and hit someone that would love to help you. You know, that's the thing. So one of our very first competitive events um, was out in Ocean City, Maryland. It's Ocean City Lacrosse Classic. It's this giant like four or five day event, Chris, men and women, young, like college studs, right? Highly recruited, badass athletes to guys that played at Cornell in like the sixties, you know, they're like, 60 and over like master's division or whatever it's just just this awesome tournament and they found out about what we were doing they offered to create a wheelchair division for us at their tournament and they said hey come to ocean city we have this great event and we have a venue right on the premises like at the park where all these games are going on you can walk through this like rec center and inside is this beautiful rink space and so that was like the host site for our first two or three four like actual legitimate competitive events where we had referees and the whole thing was out in ocean city maryland and one of the teams was university of maryland like terrapins alumni you know, some, all these old guys that all played at Maryland together. And they found out about our tournament. This is all happening while we're there, right? They found out about the tournament. They found out about the local team from Maryland. And after their tournament was over, they donated all of their helmets to the Maryland team. Brand new $300 Cascade, beautiful Cascade lacrosse helmets custom wrapped and the whole thing like all maryland terrapin whatever they were sweet man like 15 of them or whatever you know they had 15 or 20 guys on this team and the the guy that organized it was like we love what you're doing we want to make a donation here's a bunch of helmets and then i think like our group collectively decided these guys are from Maryland. This team is from Maryland. These helmets need to go to this team, you know. And that's just how it is. I mean, I, I don't know what drives it necessarily. I think it's something on the able-bodied side that loves the sport and sees this as a way to get 
lacrosse more exposure, you know? Other people like, you know, maybe from where you and I sit, just see it as something different and new and challenging. And it's a step forward, or even if it's a lateral move from basketball or hockey, and you want to try lacrosse in the summertime, that's the other thing. Like we play when basketball or ho and hockey are done. So there's no conflict. We, we, we realized that we would lose athletes all day long if we had to compete indirect, you know, directly for athletes against those two sports. Um, so we have a, a, a season that's opposite of that. Uh, and I just feel like if you want to be a better hockey player, then come play lacrosse for a couple seasons. You know, it's interesting. Like, I really respect you, right? Like you're one of my heroes and your Thank whole, you. what you, like what you've done for our community, I think is really great. And I just think that there's something, I don't know. It's just like this evolution, right? We can't look, Chris, if, if it, if it wasn't me, someone else would have done this, probably. You know, Brad Parks did tennis. Some guy did basketball back in the 40s. You have done your cycling and your multiple season and multiple medal, you know, endeavors, Kilimanjaro. So you sort of understand, like, how to take it up a notch. And that's kind of what I feel like we're doing. And I feel like that's why people, I feel like that's why people are drawn to it. Yeah, and it, it really matters. And I think one of the things in describing the sport that you missed is that it's just cool. Yeah. I think people look at yeah. it and go, that's just cool. It's yeah, just lacrosse cool. is just fun. Um, yeah, there's a, there is something about it that is very cool. Yeah. That sense of community, is that what pushed you to start the podcast? So Twisted Spine podcast? Yeah, yeah. Thanks for listening to that and bringing that up. That's, um, yeah, this is a new adventure for me. Um, I feel like it's been on my heart for a while and I'm sort of got it, got myself mentally and emotionally to the point where uh, I'm ready to, I guess, put myself out there in a kind of a different way than I ever have before um, and hopefully help a few people along the way. What, what's the objective with Twisted Spine? Um, I mean, given the amount of time that I've spent in the chair, you know, and you obviously have a lot of experience under your belt. Um, I just feel like there's a lot of value to the life lessons and things that we've learned along the way that could be passed down to people that are laying in rehab right now, trying to figure it out, like what's next for them? How do they get back to, you know, their definition of like what normal will look like or, um, you know, achieving small little goals in order to, to get back to independence, you know? 
How do you come up with, with the ideas? Because you don't have guests, right? So this is, this is mm-hmm. you, uh, you know, basically sharing your experience and your insight, which is, which is so helpful, right? But how do, you, how do you come up with the idea of what you're going to do and your script? Yeah, so you know what? Um, oh, sorry, excuse me. Social media it is just um, ripe with content, you know? And I feel like there's just so many people out there that are lost and confused and frankly, a little angry and um, feeling cheated, you know, maybe. Excuse me one second. There's another, the trash truck's on the other side of the street now. Sorry. We've not had this before, the trash truck. It's a first. It's new, man. I'm bringing a new element to the show. I appreciate it. Um, so, yeah, like, I don't know. I look at things and I just read, I read things on social media, right? It could be something as simple as, What's the best wheelchair? Right. And that's just not the right question to be asking, you know, I don't think. And all of a sudden you just get 200 responses on what the best wheelchair is. And my thought is, is that there are just way too many cooks in the kitchen. Who knows anything about this individual? They're not giving us any information about who they are, what their injury is, if it's for them or someone else. And I just am inspired, I guess, enough to give myself something to talk about, you know? Plus, I just feel like there are things that, you know, I have a higher, I'm going to have a higher acumen of knowledge in some areas, not every area, but, you know, maybe a lot of the like wheelchair stuff, the seven years I spent at Spinergy and working with Web. Um, So I've got a lot of knowledge to share, you know. Um, And if I can also help someone avoid a pitfall or stay away from pressure sores or UTIs, that's the kind of stuff I'm hoping to offer, you know, to individuals and families that are newly impacted by this injury you know when did your eyes open like after your after your injury you kind of said okay i kind of know where i'm going or where i want to go um gosh chris that's a good question you know i was um probably not a good six or eight years in so because i was pretty it was i mean i spent a lot of time goofing off just to be totally transparent, you know, I was, I, um, I'm, I had been injured the day after I graduated from high school, leaving California to go live in Steamboat Springs. So I did my rehab in San Diego in the summer of 91. They let me out of rehab and I moved to Steamboat in August of 91. I got kind of sick. I made it onto the snow the spring of 92 
And then I think in May, I pushed my first 10K before my one-year anniversary of my injury, which was sort of like a milestone. But also at 19, probably an incredibly intense defense mechanism, right? (laughs) And I just threw myself into as much recreation and stuff, you know, going to your camps, traveling, road tripping to Jackson Hole to ski, you know, just coming back here to San Diego to see friends and family. And I don't really feel like, I guess my interpretation of what you are referring to about eyes opening, which I think is really neat. I became confident in my independence a lot quicker than I became confident in like who I was post-injury. Does that make sense? Like as a person, like I felt confident that I could probably hit on girls, go out on a date and not like pee or poop my pants. (laughs) Right. Important stuff. Yeah. Important stuff. But I still really didn't know what am I doing with my life? You know what I mean? Because I was trying to figure that out still. You know, I was going to school in Steamboat I was up there for about eight or nine years. I came back to San Diego, finished school, um, and then, you know, became a contributing member of society. Right. It's interesting. I was listening to your podcast and I was listening to the last one. I think I listened to the last one first. So I apologize for not getting them in full sequence. You listened to the most recent one first, you mean? The most recent one, exactly. Got it. The most recent one first. And one of the things that, that you, yeah. that you, well, it's the first one that comes up, right? When you sure. go to a podcast that gives you the most recently published one. Sure. And so I listened to it and, and this is the, the, the not holding on too yes. much one. One of the things that you mentioned in that really kind of, it, it made me think because you were talking about, and it might've just almost been a throwaway kind of line, but, but you said, you know, that that you might've lost some friends uh, as a result of the injury. And, and it forced me to come back and think about it. And I don't think that I lost any friends as a result of the injury. Mm-hmm. I do think that it was my biggest worry when I was lying there in the hospital bed that I would be entirely separate but sort of the reality of it was I felt like I don't I don't really feel like I lost friends and yeah was that something that you were considering when you were saying that because because one is the fear and two yeah. is the reality I think it comes down to I guess the intimacy and longevity of those relationships Mm -hmm. I kind of would look at it like, who would I want at my wedding? Who am I going to be friends with in like 10 years from now, let's say. And maybe in my own head, I'm referring to relationships that, again, I was, when I was injured, I was quite young. um, And things changed pretty fast because I was leaving the state, was moving somewhere totally new totally different right and sorry this freaking truck um 
And so I think that there might be something, I don't know. I mean, I feel, I, I, I do understand what you're saying. In some regards, relationships that I did have in, um, got better. Um, and I do, I still am friends with a handful of people that I've been close with since, you know, junior high. I think the, the fear of losing friends comes down to the realization that like, there will be times in our lives when it just doesn't feel like it's fair. You know, like, I mean, my wife and I deal with this, right? It's like walking on a beach right. for, <laughs> versus walking like on a concrete bike path that's a hundred yards away from the beach. And she can have that experience with a girlfriend, right? But she can't have that experience with her husband. That's equally as hard for her as it is for me. It's just a totally different type of difficulty or the reality of that challenge is different for her as a wife than it maybe is for me as a husband. So maybe as a friend or a brother, whatever it is, I think maybe that there is room to understand that post-injury, I mean, it's just, it's not going to ever be what it was. Doesn't mean it's not going to be great or good or that you can't cope, manage, move on, recover. It just means that your expectation needs to be a little bit different. I think so. And, but it's interesting though, too, right? Because you talk about the beach versus talking about lacrosse. And mm -hmm. so, so you look at it and go, okay, well, here's the sport and we're not going to play it on a field because mm -hmm. you know, you probably would be stuck in one place, right? It's one guy throwing to another guy, to another guy and, and right, sure. hard getting around on the field. But there is, there is that adaptation that you make and there's the adaptation with regard to equipment and, and you look at the beach and the beach is, you know, the beach is, is the huge wall and so or the flight of stairs for sure. us. And that's, that's kind of the beauty of this, of our world sometimes too, is that we look at it and go, well, the beach definitely can't do the beach, you know, mm -hmm. definitely can't do the stairs, but like, you know, I think, you know, you, you know, Eric Kondo, like we had Eric Kondo on at one point mm -hmm. and he climbs stairs as easily as anybody with, who can use their legs climb sure. stairs you know, in, his, in his chair and you go, oh, okay. Well, I guess it's a matter of adaptation. And sometimes it's just, it's just a matter of sort of wrapping your brain around it too. And there's the exhaustion part of it, right? Of like, right. Oh, I wish I could just do that. And, and I can't. Mm -hmm. Totally. Oh, yeah. Then he figured it out and you go, oh, okay. It's pretty easy to climb stairs, I guess. So yeah, if, if you're Eric, it's relatively easy. Sure, so sure. It's it's an interesting thing, but it's interesting to hear you telling the stories and sharing, sharing because like for me, sport was was where I started learning, 
really about about being in a wheelchair as opposed to my time in the hospital or for sure it was the functional part yeah i totally agree with that i think you know one of the things i tell people is that the doctors are great and you know i had a surgery where rods were put into my back to stabilize my spine um I'm back in San Diego, so I can go into the place where I rehabbed and see the people, you know, some of them are actually still there and it's pretty wild to think about it, you know, and all that was an incredible experience, but I never learned more about my injury, how to do things more functionally, um, how to sort of like maybe cut a corner here and there that like a little life hack or a little trick than I did from hanging out with other guys that have been doing it longer than me. You know, I would watch you get in and out of your mono ski without leaning up against anything. And I thought, Oh man, I can do I mean, if Chris can do that, I can do that. <laughs> well, that's exactly, that out. that's exactly the thought you should have. Right. It's yes, like, that's okay. exactly the thought I should have. Right. Not like, Oh, that's Chris. He's a gold medalist. I'm never going to be able to do that. I didn't think like that. I just thought there's a guy with a similar injury. My expectation should be that like I can match or exceed what he's demonstrating here because I have the same, I've been given the same like sort of hand here, you know? Um, And I, and so some of those, some of those inspirations, some of those, interactions and relationships with other guys that are you know whether it was through road racing or skiing or tennis you know seeing a guy get in and out of his car and be like whoa can you show me how you did that again real fast you know like those kinds of things you know so those that's really what i think about when i think about twisted spine i want to be like a place where an individual or family can come and be like I just need a little bit of help to push me like over the fence here, you know? Well, I mean, it's, it's cause you're talking about some of the physical stuff, some of the techniques that you learn, some of the life hacks, but you're yeah. also talking about the mental emotional part. Yeah. Right. Too. Who do you consider when you're doing this? Cause, cause the thing is, I mean, this is you and a microphone effectively. Mm-hmm when it's mm-hmm. happening, who do you consider your audience? Do you have an image of who is on the other end of this podcast when you're, when you're creating it? Not really. I think by and large, it's going to be people that are newly injured, <clears throat> that are interested in my story, that maybe know about me <clears throat> through other people. Maybe they're interested in what I have to say because of the lacrosse association. Um, I don't really, I'm not recording necessarily in order to appeal to a specific audience. I think, I think that there's just something to it. Maybe, I don't know, Chris, maybe people aren't really ready for it. I mean, here's the deal. I think it's like, you are only going to be able to help people that are willing to be helped. And if 
people are out there and they're thinking to themselves, man, this Ryan Baker guy is pretty wild and this Twisted Spine website looks pretty cool. The services look interesting. I have had trouble with my wheelchair and I really don't know what to do about it, but I'm not going to do anything about it anyway. So whatever. And then they just don't feel like they need help, right? Like I'm not trying to necessarily appeal to that guy, but I'm trying to like, you know, appeal to him like, hey man, (laughs) take some action, you know, like fix your chair, you know, like that kind of thing. Uh, You know, I, but I kind of see it as like, all right, I might be like a short-term life preserver where you're going to come find some respite, you know, a little respite for a while, maybe gain some wisdom, and then you're going to like leave the life preserver, you know, I don't, I don't intend for it to be like an ongoing thing, or like, you know, coaching or efficiency training relationship. I just sort of see it as being this temporary, let's build you up, Let's give you the tools that you need to be successful. Then let's send you out there. And then if you come across barriers or something really rough or, you know, super intense, you know, then I want to be available to you for that. Exactly. Now, did this, did this, it looks like this happened after you left Spinergy? Is that? It did. It did. Okay. So is this a full-time gig now? It is. It is. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, because you because one of the cool ones that you did the podcast one of the podcasts I listened to was the description of the wheels and the description of Spinner G's wheels. Sure. Which you know, like I mean, I remember back. I mean, granted, this is coming on thirty three years. Yeah. When I got a, a my first wheelchair, what do I want for wheels? I don't like wheels. I just want wheels. I don't. I don't know. Yeah. Why? We didn't have that option. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't have that option back then. I mean, there's a lot of things that have changed, Chris, right? I mean, that's part of the, I I mean, that's part of the struggle for me is sort of like keeping up with the times, you know, and like remaining engaged. I think it's, you know, the lacrosse thing, being tapped into the community that way, having relationships with guys like yourself um, that I've admired for so long, you know, guys like Mark Wellman, Brad Parks. Bill Boness, McDougal, John Davis. I mean, these were guys that I was like, wow, I can do all this, you know? Yeah, I can still do all this, you know? I was like so pumped about it. Um, yeah. But, but, but the mental and emotional stuff, I mean, that's a different element of recovery, you know? And there are tools and I think there are ways for us to cope and deal with that part of it um but i think one of the biggest pieces is maintaining relationships with guys and you know with people that are living the life you know that you not isolate yourself i think that's a big thing well i I think you're hitting on two really great things one is that you can often believe that you can do something when you see somebody do it right Mm -hmm. so you see it happening oh so that's that's a possibility and and it also you gain the momentum from that and think okay well 
I see how this one worked, how mm -hmm. somebody solved this problem, can I take that learning and try to try to fit it to a brand new sport and say, yeah, we, yeah. Can, we can make this thing work. But the mental and emotional stuff is interesting too, in that you often see people out in public and you, you see them as more finished products, right? The yeah. people who are at the top of their sport, they might not be dealing with the same problems that somebody's dealing with earlier on, mm -hmm. or they might not be showing that they're dealing with it. Right. And so, so it's great that you're getting in there and asking some of the questions or answering some of the questions that people might yeah. not be courage, courageous enough to, act, to ask. Yeah, and hopefully I'm asking or getting them to recognize for themselves to, you know, to ask the right question for themselves, you know, not just what's the best wheelchair, but like, what's the best wheelchair for you, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Exactly. So. Well, it's awesome. I mean, I, I think it's great what you're doing. I mean, one with, with lacrosse and then two with the podcast, have you enjoyed the process of doing the podcast of telling the story? Is it something that you have to force yourself to do, or is it something that you really enjoy? No, I love it. I love it. I love having a voice. I love recording. I love sharing. Um, my biggest challenges with the podcast come in the form of not making them so long that people get tired and turn it off. Um, keeping the topics, you know, relatively exciting, relevant, maybe funny, maybe just sort of like, <clears throat> kind of like a little fable or a, you know, like the, like the cliff guy or like the other one that you might really be interested in is the, the, the story about the, the guy, the King's moat episode is actually really good. Chris, I think you'd like that one a lot. Okay. I'll check it um, out. Yeah. That's a fun one. Um, but yeah, I really just enjoy recording and, you know, again, I'm going to, I want to talk about things that affect me, affect the community. You know, like here's another quick example you know, people are complaining about parking spaces and someone parked next to them, like where it was striped, basically. Right. So maybe after the cross, after the lacrosse thing is done and whatever, I can focus on parking spots. <laughs> so my, I'm advocating for users of personal mobility devices i.e. manual wheelchairs, scooters, power chairs, whatever, be given new parking spots with a different color. Because doctors just hand out the blue placard, like it's just free samples of Tide. You know, like you can go into your doctor and tell him that you have a hangnail and he'll be like, oh, well here, just use this placard for six weeks until it goes away or whatever. I've even seen guys, like I've literally been behind somebody eyeballing a handicap spot thinking, yes. And the guy like two cars in front of me whips into it. And I'm like, no, but it's an amputee that like gets out and runs away, right? Like 
Does the amputee have a disability? Of course, but does he need that spot? No, he doesn't. So I'm advocating for like a different color and you know, just for wheelchair users or personal mobility devices only. That is interesting. That's that's one that that is a much longer conversation. Yes. We don't have time for that conversation right now. Look, if they can do expectant mother parking, they can pull this off. I, I think expectant mother parking. I mean, there, there are many times that I think you should take this parking spot over me. Like that's totally that's that's fine. You've got way more going on. Right. I because because also, I mean, the funny part for us, like I haven't traveled in a year or whatever, a little over a year right now, but I've spent a lot, a lot of time in airports. And as a wheelchair user, one of the things you recognize is just how slowly most people move. Yeah. <laughs> you're moving along. You're like, come on, come on. Let's get, like, get out of my way. Like we, we, I'm late. Like I need right. to get somewhere. You need to get out of my way. So it's it's uh, that there are that is a that is a long and involved conversation. We might have to, we might have to get a community together. Maybe mm -hmm. we'll do a group chat on on parking spaces and what's what's viable. You can just it, keep it. Yeah, just keep that in your mental Rolodex for later. I think it'd be a great it'd be a great and interesting topic, and we never know where it might go which would be really entertaining. So Brian, I've got to get you out of here because we've already we've already gone over 15 minutes over your, your allotted time. So I don't want to get you in trouble or anything. Uh, but uh, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for what you're doing in, in the lacrosse world. Thank you thank for you. what you're doing in the spinal cord injury world and, and asking those questions and starting conversations and edu educating people who really don't know anything. You and I were both in that situation where yeah. we didn't know anything. And luckily yeah, people educated us. I appreciate it, Chris. I feel like, you know, if, if women are willing to go spend, you know, $150 on a haircut and color, someone's willing to pay for, you know, way less than that for just a little bit of lifelong advice, you know? Exactly. Well, I hope so. And you're giving some great advice. So keep it up. Thanks a ton. Thank appreciate really it. Appreciate it. Look forward to seeing you in person. I'll have to uh I'll have to grab a lacrosse stick the next time. Next time I'm Please. with you and see if see if I know anything. I just really I really just kind of threw it as hard as I could to try to get the dog to go as far as he could. I'd love to have you out someday. That'd be great. It'd be great fun. So I really appreciate it. To all of you who listened. Uh, if you only listen to a portion, it will be on the One Revolution page. You can go, everything is chronicled on the One Revolution page or archived on the One Revolution page. This will also be a traditional podcast. So you can go to all the places where you watch podcasts, you know, Spotify, Apple, YouTube. You can actually watch us. Please, if you enjoy what we did today, tell your friends, like us follow us. We'll continue to grow the, grow the message. Thank you so much for joining. Ryan, thanks again. And have Thank fun. you, Chris. All right. All right, man. Take care. Bye-bye. Yeah. See you soon, buddy.